so amazing to work with a competent staff, and one of the things that I've always been fortunate to have here is a team of great people. I knew from the very first day when uh, Jill and I felt called to start this church, we could never do it alone, and the good news is, by the grace of God, we never had to. And uh, so thank you all for making that kid's space happen and being patient, and um, you're going to love it. So uh, let, let me tell you what we're going to talk about today. This message series is called Christmas is for Families, and today I want to talk with you about the difference that a dad can make, but... Um, this message is not just for men. There's so many things we're going to talk about today that um, really apply across the board. These are just healthy family dynamics, but we're going to look at a person uh, who was the dad in the Christmas story. Um, we're going to look at Joseph. He was the guy commissioned to be the dad of Jesus. Now, he wasn't the father of Jesus. This is basic Christian belief that Jesus is literally the son of God, and Joseph is, in effect, the adopting dad of Jesus, raised and commissioned to lead and guide and train and direct the Messiah of the world. Can you think about that for just a second? I mean, this story blows me away. Uh, every time we get to this year, my, my favorite thing to do is to preach on the Christmas stuff because the story is so magnificent, and it's, it's filled with just normal family and human dynamics. So just imagine with me for just a second Joseph is, Joseph's predicament. He's engaged to this girl, and in those days, engagement was a legally binding, formal arrangement made between a man and a wife, typically, but actually between their families. There would have probably been some exchange of property or something of value, so there was something to be gained and lost. And in effect, they were married other than they hadn't consumed or, or consummated the marriage all the way. They weren't living together, but they were working on and probably even physically building a house together and in the middle of all that anticipation with Joseph and this young lady that he has his eye on, or maybe it was arranged, we don't know the details of it, but he finds out from Mary, this girl, that she's pregnant, which probably wasn't all that unusual back in the day, and no more than really than it is today. Things like that happened in an environment that was occupied by Rome with Roman soldiers all over the place who were far from home. Um, if you read some of the historical anecdotes, it looks like maybe there was even more of that happening in that day and age. So it wasn't all that unusual for Joseph to have experienced the language of the woman he's betrothed to is pregnant. What made it unusual were the words that came out of her mouth next. When she said to him, the baby I'm carrying, it's God's. It's not somebody else's. Now, can we just hit the pause button? I know that if you've been around church for any length of time, you know how this story goes, and you've heard it so much, and this is one of those cases where familiarity can breed contempt, make us not understand and appreciate the, just the starkness of that news. Here's an ordinary guy, a, a laborer, very likely a carpenter. We don't have definitive definition on that in the Bible, but it hints at a few things, and history kind of indicates. So he's some, some kind of a worker with his hands, not very wealthy. He's from a backwoods little community. He has roots that go all the way back to uh, Israel's royalty, but he's generations away from that. And the woman he's in love with and preparing to spend his life with, and very likely even already building their house physically together, she says to him, I'm, I'm pregnant. And it's not yours. That's not welcome news to any guy who's in love with a girl. It's happened to some folks in our church on occasion. 
But it was the next piece that makes this a very, very unique story. And we know just from extrapolation that when Joseph hears Mary say, and the baby is not born conceived in natural ways, it's conceived by God, we know that it must have created a little bit of consternation and anxiety in his heart and his mind and his thinking. But the Bible tells us in the verse we're going to read in just a moment that Joseph was a Good man is the way one version reads it, translation from the Greek into the English. In, a, in another version, the one we're going to read, it says that Joseph wanted to keep the law, so he was religiously obedient to his tradition. He wanted to keep the law, but he didn't want to embarrass Mary as he tried to keep the law. So another version translates that he was a good man who wanted to do good for her. So he's struggling. Here's this good guy, and he, all the good things he wants to have happen in life it seems like right here at the onset, he's hitting a major roadblock. It doesn't take a lot if you forget this is the Christmas story to just emotionally wrap your mind around where he must have been and how he must have felt and how disappointing he's faithful in his religious observance. He's got a value for God in his heart. He's doing right by this woman he wants to spend his life with. He looks up and up, and then all of a sudden, whoa, wait, what, what, what are we doing here? And this is the place where Matthew, in your message notes, picks up the story in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we're given some of the background of Jesus' life, his heritage, if you will, going all the way back to that royalty, where he is a descendant of King David through, you know, uh, all the channels, but then right in the middle of that chapter, it zeroes in on this story of Joseph, the dad, in the Christmas story. In your message notes, I don't have all the verses, but up here on the screen, I'll have them all. I only put the more poignant ones for our point today in your message notes, but Matthew chapter 1 in your Bible, on your phone, on the screen, some of them in your message notes. Here's how the Bible reads. There is, uh, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is where we start to get a little insight to a guy that the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about. He doesn't want to disgrace her if he follows the law. The obligation was if she's pregnant, she's to be turned out of the community. She can come back in after the baby is born and after she's waited a certain amount of time because that's the way it was done in that community in that day. And Joseph doesn't want to do anything, so he wants to just very quietly deal with this disconnect in their relationship because the last thing he's trying to do is bring harm to her off of the offense that he's experienced. So we get a little insight to his heart. It's going to inform the rest of our conversation today. Verse 20. But after he had considered this. Now that's an interesting phrase. He's thought about this. It wasn't a passing thought. I'm assuming there was a couple sleepless nights. He's mulling things over about what he wants to do. And after he has considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua. All the way back to Yeshua and the 
Battle of Jericho, the name of that strong leader who followed Moses, who was a mighty warrior, the one who talked about not being afraid of stuff. You're to name him after that hero of our faith because he will save his people, not from the outside enemy, but from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he's had this dream. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. He's contemplating, he's considering, he has this dream, he gets a vision. The vision changes something for him. I mean, that dream, he's able to look at the same circumstances with different eyes because he's had a vision. It's changed it. And the Bible says what he did next, again, we get some insight into this guy. When he awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. So he just got to work. He got after it. But he did not consummate, but they, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So he fully cooperated with the entire plan. So let's fill in a couple blanks in your message notes. And I want to, if you allow me, I want to kind of press into men just a little bit, especially dads. But listen, don't, don't turn off if that doesn't fit you, if that's not where you are. If you're a lady in the room, uh, a, a guy who doesn't have a kid. These are just healthy spiritual principles on display in a man named Joseph. But for dads particularly, I think we get a chance to look at Joseph like we're going to do with other characters in this series. We get a chance to look at Joseph and say, what did he do in his role as a father that made a difference, a positive difference? And and, and that's what I want to press on you in this entire message series. That's why I think Joseph did such a great job last week, Pastor Joseph did. He did such a great job because if you'll take to heart his words about expressing gratitude, I hope some of you kept your commitments to do that. If you take to heart the the commitment you made to express gratitude, it will make a positive difference in your family this holiday season. It doesn't take a lot of gratitude expressed to begin to turn the tone of a home. I was taught in my early counseling training that when the words thank you disappear from a relationship, it's an early warning sign that you got problems. It's like a yellow light uh, blinking on your dashboard. So what we want for you in this entire message is we want to make a positive difference. And here's why. The whole point of Christmas was God wanting to make a positive difference in this world. Now, here's just one little proof of that. Count the number of times over the holiday season when somebody's reading scripture, maybe you open the Bible yourselves. count the number of times that the word joy is used. You get almost to triple digits. Almost to triple digits. Joy. Just in the Christmas narratives, Joy, joy, joy. We're going to sing a lot about joy over the holiday season. Joy to the world. One of God's primary agendas in Christmas is to bring joy to people. And I think that's exactly why the enemy of our soul, we talked about so much in the last message series, I think one of the primary tools he tries to do at Christmas to make sure you don't get what God wants here is he tries to put into your life all kinds of dynamics to make sure that joy doesn't break through. And so he'll do busyness. He'll load financial worry. 
He'll bring relational chaos. He'll put you around family members you've been able to avoid all year long, but you can't now because you've got to go to dinner with them. That's the enemy, man. I'm telling you. That's the way he works. And what God wants to do is he wants to break through with joy. And I think from Joseph's story, the adopted dad of Jesus, we can discover some of the joy producers. Here, here's the first big one in your message notes. Joseph was captivated by a vision. He was. But he also cooperated fully with God's plan for his life. So he has this vision of what he wants life to be. Back in that day, if you were betrothed, you had to, one of the things you had to kind of get in place, you had to get your house ready. It's the language of marriage that shows up in the Bible so often of this wedding thing that's going to happen. And then they, in the New Testament times, the thing that happens after the wedding, they go into their new home together. And very often in the in the New Testament times, there would be this primary house, and then as the kids would get married, they'd add on rooms to the house, and that would be where they would live. And sometimes three, on occasion, four generations would all live under the same roof. And they just kept adding on and adding on, and families would stay together, and they are very connected. And Jesus refers to this imagery when he tells his followers one day, he says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And so we interpret that through our modern lens and the choice of that word there. And we tend to think that, you know, we're all going to get our own little kind of Beverly Hills style place with streets of gold uh, in front of it. But probably more likely it's better translated, in my father's house are many rooms. Now, well-apportioned rooms, they're not like dirt floor rooms, but so they're mansion-like. But in my father's house are many rooms. And he's preparing a place because it's all one big family and we're all going to be connected in perfect unity and that's the imagery that Joseph's hoping for. But he gets this incredible news from Mary that's radically altering to his reality. And he has to contemplate it. He's, he's worried about it. It's troubling to him. But then this vision happens, this dream, and it captivates him. All the worry, all the contemplation that comes from his good heart, he's going to put her away privately. Now, after the dream, the Bible says, not only does he hear it and understand it, but he gets up and he does immediately what he's asked to do by God. So he's captivated, but he follows fully. He fully cooperates with God's plan for his life. A lot of folks, I don't know about if you've seen this or not, but a lot of folks get a pretty profound vision of what they want their life to be, what they feel like God's calling them to do. And they're motivated, and they can talk it up, and it sounds sweet. And it's typically awesome, and a lot of time it's God-inspired. But between the vision and the reality, there is this full cooperation thing that has to happen. I know a lot of men who want a God-honoring relationship. They want a marriage that is joyful and produces life. They, they, they want to lead their families well. They, they, they want to be a man of God. That's exactly what God wants for people. I mean, for every man in this room, every woman in this room, God wants to create in you a soft heart, a godly heart for the things of God. And he wants to build significance and prominence through your life as you follow him. When you aspire to spiritual greatness, 
When you aspire to make a difference that honors God and helps people, these are God-blessed, God-honoring dreams. A lot of people are captivated by that. But the difference for Joseph was is he wasn't just captivated. He actually put into place actions and began to take the steps. He has a vision of what he wants, and he's so captivated that he immediately begins to do the actions required to make the vision happen. This is the difference between Joseph and a lot of my struggles as a becoming adult, becoming mature kind of guy. I remember when this struggle for greatness really showed up early in my life. I kind of bloomed academically late. It was uh, about my sophomore year of high school. I started noticing that if I put a little effort into it, I can make some difference. And within about a year and a half, I got the big head academically. I, I, was, I felt like I was pretty hot stuff. I don't know if anybody around here has ever felt like they're pretty hot stuff about their thing. Some people it's sports, other people that, you know, it's whatever. And I had a buddy, it was about his, you know, relational conquest with the girls. He was pretty hot stuff. And my thing was, is I could academically give me a challenge, I could, could rally it. And I discovered that you could do certain things with this skill set. You could impress people with the way you talk. And as I got closer and closer to graduation, people would ask me in light of what I had done and what I come, well, what are you going to do with your life? And the expectation in the question was, it's going to be pretty something, got to be something pretty grand and pretty awesome. And so I put together this life plan. Sounded awesome to me as a, soft, uh, as a senior in high school. I, I, I'm going to study psychology. I'm going to study business administration, and I, I want to move into kind of corporate management. That's where I want to go. Probably go straight through to an MBA. And I'd say that, and you'd see people in the, in the community and my family They'd be like, yeah, that was, ooh, yeah, yeah we, we see you doing that. And it just felt so good to get that affirmation for that vision that I wanted to propagate out there. The challenge was is it was easy to say. It was a little more difficult to, to do. As we used to say in the South, I have at least an uncle who used to say this. He'd say, don't write a check with your mouth that you can't cash. That's how he'd say it. And that's what I'd done. I'd wrote a check with my mouth that my body could not cash. Right? And so I had to put into place this thing. And in addition to that, deep down, I knew that wasn't really what I wanted. I thought that's what people enjoyed hearing. I liked the way I felt when people responded the way they did when I talked. And that was my high school self. That wasn't the last time that I went through that dynamic. For, for th there's a compelling vision. In this case, it wasn't even the one that, that ultimately I wanted to do. And I'll never forget, I was a freshman in, high, in, in college, and I'm really wrestling. I'm about a, about a semester down, and I knew deep down in my life that God had called me to do ministry. I've known it since I was five years old. It's a different story. I knew it. I'd been denying it, been on the run. People would say it over me. I'd be like, nah, not me. I'm wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And I remember sitting in an auditorium, and a few years ago, I was able to take my boys right literally to the, to the seat where I was at when it happened. And God spoke to my heart, and I gave in and said I was going to follow him with my life. It happened, I mean, literally in that spot right there. And... Uh, and I began to get captivated by a different vision for my life, a vision that was more in cooperation with what God wanted me to do. And I want to tell you, the difference was, and the second kind of iteration of my life's vision, 
is when I began to try to take steps in the new direction I was going, it wasn't that they were so much easier, but I had this internal drive and motivation because the vision for my life aligned with what God wanted for my life. And I felt like as I took steps, even when they were hard, even when they were uphill, even when I got pushback, I felt like it was more on purpose and more in direction I wanted to go. That's my story, and when I read the story of the the Bible, I see a little bit of that in Joseph. He's got a plan. He's got a direction he wants to go. He gets major pushback, but when he has that dream, when he has that vision from God, it catapults him into action. And the reason I'm spending a lot of time on here is this. When I sit down with guys, ladies, I want you to know something about guys. When I sit down with them and we break through the kind of high-fiving and the talk about the sports team, which with me doesn't last very long because I don't know anything about it, and we break through what's going on in their career and we kind of start talking about, in my opinion, you know, bedrock issues, you'd be surprised, ladies, how many men in this room aspire to greatness and they want their lives to make a difference. You'd be surprised how many young men in this room want their lives to make a difference. They know they're called to more. And they have deep down like a a vision in their hearts. Even older men who are transitioning out of the work environment and now they're thinking about legacy, they have in their hearts this desire. I just, I want you to understand, folks, that when you get this vision, the difference between a vision that just stays an urge and a hope and actually getting there is doing what Joseph did and it's this full cooperation. God, if you want it, I want it. If you call me, I'll do it. And I'm willing. And they make this decision. There's a moment of decision, but then they step forward. They actually begin to take the steps necessary. So Joseph now had to go back to Mary and say, I know it sounds crazy. I thought you were crazy when you said it to me. But I believe you. This thing in you, it's from God. And I'm called to be with you through this. And so he goes ahead and takes her, and they complete the ceremony. And he takes Mary to be his wife. And he assumes the responsibility that God had for him to be the adopted dad of Jesus, this gift to the world. Now, let me, let me make a point to you there. I think that the heart and soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and developing the courage to do what he asks us to do. When I look at Joseph, when I look at a lot of men, when I look at myself in various seasons of life, it's not so much that I don't know what to do. I've been captivated by an image of what I'm called to. Very often it's I lack the courage to do what I feel like deep down I want to do. I lack the courage to take the steps to get where I deep down want to go. I think at the end of the day, the Christian life for men and women, here it is in a phrase. It's hear God's voice, know how to listen to him, know how to, to tune into what he wants. Listen to the vision he puts into your heart and then develop the courage to step out and do it. It's incredibly hard. Dads, the role you're supposed to play in the family isn't the one who has it all perfectly put together. We used to, when I would preach this message, and I'm not trying to take shots at anybody, that's too easy, but when I'd preach a message like this, I used to kind of say to dads, dads, you're not called to be like a, a Bill Cosby kind of dad. Yeah, you see how awkward that is? <laughs> used to be you could throw out a Bill Cosby kind of dad, and everybody knew what you meant, you know, Cliff Huxtable, and he had it all together, and he always, you know, it was a little silly from time to time, but he always had that nugget of wisdom, and he could... 
That's a facade. It always was. You're going to be imperfect. You're going to struggle. But there are some things you can get right. You don't have to get everything right. But here's something I think you have to get right. You have to be struck by a vision of what your life can be and do if you follow God. Believe it or not, I think that's the easier part. If you let yourself dream, if you let yourself think. Honestly, pull out a blank sheet of paper one day. Give yourself 20 minutes and just say, what could I do if I gave my life over fully to God? What could I accomplish? And then start just literally jotting down words and phrases of what you think your life could be to make a difference in this world for God and a difference in people's lives. That's the easy part. You want to know the hard part? It's the courage to get started. To just start. All right, you said this. Now, what is the logical step? You don't know the exact one? All right, what's a logical first step? Even if it's not supposed to be there. What, what could, what's one thing you could do that you could actually begin to move this forward? So I think it's one thing to see a vision, and it's, not, it's quite another thing to be captivated by a vision. To be captivated by a vision. When you're captivated, it's, I got to do this. I got to go forward. I, I got to be a man in my home that has enough integrity. Part of my vision for myself. I have enough integrity that when I want to speak with a certain amount of authority, my personal life doesn't undermine my authority, my influence in my kid's life. Now, the challenge with that is, is I'm not perfect. They know it. They're old enough now to know I'm not perfect. So how do I manage the, the gaps between what I know to do and what I do with my kids? Because what I want more than anything with my kids, I want to have influence in their life. I don't want to control their life. I don't want to direct their life. That's God's to do. I want to steward. I want to encourage. And so part of my vision is I want to leave kids who are going to follow God with their lives. That's just me, what I want to do. I want my wife to look at me and say, my husband isn't perfect, but he has wisdom and he has a soft heart for the things of God. So if that's what I want, then one of the steps I have to take is I have to not do anything that's going to undermine the authority, the moral authority I have to speak about the things of God. And the challenge with that is, is I'm a sinner. I need the grace of God. So that causes a whole different level of conversation in my heart. I mean, Joseph had missed it. Mary comes to him with the most important news in the world. Hey, you're a lucky guy today because I'm pregnant and it's not yours. You get to raise the son of God, Joseph. I don't know if that's how she said it, but that's in effect what was being said. That wasn't his vision for himself. I don't know what he thought. Maybe he thought people would look at him and they'd have opinions about it. Maybe he thought there'd be hushed whispers behind their back. But when he got captivated by the vision, he immediately went home and took the step and he took Mary to be his, to be his wife. And he fully cooperated. Let me tell you three ways I think this thing can play out. So here's three gifts we can give ourselves and our families. Same thought, just three ways it plays out. This is for dads. I think for dads, it's essential. For everybody else, this is a really good idea. All right? I think dads, I think if you miss this, dads, I think you're going to miss one of the biggest gifts, one of the biggest roles, the, the, the single biggest influence you'll have in your life. 
Man, can I tell you something? As I, as I get older, one of the things I'm touched by, I don't, it's not morbid for me, but I think about the fact that life's temporary. But every time I do a funeral, I think about the fact that life's temporary. In the last three months, I've sat down with five people, five different people who got news that if the Lord or medicine doesn't intervene, they've only got weeks to live. And I sat with them one-on-one and had conversations. And I think about the difference I'm going to make in this world. And I realize that for me, it's not so much the difference I'm going to make, but it's the influence I have on people that are going to live after me. And so for me, that's my family, my kids, it's my extended family, especially the younger ones. And always a part of my ministry, it's been younger people in ministry. I wanted to raise biological kids and I wanted to raise spiritual kids. One of the reasons why I love this church's value on children's ministry. Because sometimes people who don't even have kids have spiritual kids. There are people in this church who have dozens of spiritual kids and they're going to live after them. And it's part of the influence of their life and the significance of their life. So here's three big gifts towards significance. The first one is the gift of being present, Dad. The gift of being present. It's, a, it's an interesting thing because in America today, this is a real challenge. It's a challenge in other parts of the world as well. But in America, there's been some research done, and I'm a stats guy. I'm a numbers guy. So let me just throw some of these out at you. I think in, in, in one study that was done... Um, It was done by the National Father Initiative in 2014. In America, 60% of all people who end up as rapists, 72% of all adolescent murderers, and 70% of long-term prison inmates come from fatherless homes. Now, in general, I think we would all agree that parenting was meant to be a two-person job. We know that even in our church, even in our community, that's not always possible in so it, my heart, one, one of the things I love most about this church is our heart for the, primarily the single mom, and on the occasion the, the single dad as well, but the single mom. And my dad was raised by a, a single mom. His father was murdered when he was very uh, young. And single moms with Jesus can do an incredible job. And I think we would all agree that parenting is at its core really meant to be a, a two-person job. The problem is, is that sometimes we have this physical separation with dad's aren't there, but then sometimes we have dads who are physically present, but they're still not there. And one of the gifts that we can give people in our lives and make a difference this holiday season, and I think it'll also make a difference in our own personal life, is just the simple gift of being present. Now, presence is not just about proximity, it's also about purpose. What do you do with the time you have with the people in your life? What do you do? How are you going to spend that time? Let's hit the pause button on that for a second. I'll come right back to it. So Christmas is really a birthday celebration. And uh, I like birthday celebrations, most of them anyway. Um, I don't like them when mine get older and older, but that's all right. I'll come to terms with my, the fact I'm not going to live forever, all right? So um, when I was five years old, I went to school, it was kindergarten, and it was my birthday, and my teacher made this little crown and put it on my head. She did that for all the kids. That wasn't the only one. So on your birthday, you got this little crown, and if you didn't um, have a birthday during the school year, then you got to pick a day. So everybody got celebrated. It's kindergarten. It's great. It's how we taught American kids early on that they're special and nobody else matters. So I had this crown on. I had this crown on, and I got to wear it all day long. I was the birthday boy, so I got to be the hall monitor. I got to go first in line. You know, you know how that works, right? And so I wore it home. 
If you go to what we call the Hall of Shame in my parents' house, which is where all the pictures are, there's a picture of me as a five-year-old with my little crown on, my little birthday cake with a train on it. I've always been into trains. And I looked at that picture, and the funny thing about it is I don't have a single memory of it. I don't have a memory of the day at school. I don't remember that picture at all being taken at home. But there it is, so I can't deny it's me. There it is. I can see it. There it is. And, and the thing about birthday celebrations is, is it gives us a chance to remember uh, the day we were born. It, it takes something that probably none, probably none of you like me don't remember the day you were born. I don't remember the day I was born at all. But I know what happened. I'm here. And I know what day it was because i got a document. And I've got pictures all the way along that mark these moments of my life on that day where, to some degree, the people in my life are saying, we're really glad you're born and uh, we're really glad that your life gets to be a part of our life. I, I love birthday celebrations. And I, I love the fact that every year at Christmas, even though it probably wasn't December 25th, we get to celebrate and call to remembrance that it's Jesus' birthday. And on a birthday, you know what happens, what's so cool? Is on the birthday, we bring gifts to the birthday person. It's just a way of expressing love. And so at Christmas, one of the things I try to do, I'm trying to do it with you right now, is I try to ask myself, what gift am I going to bring the Lord this year with my life? It's his birthday. So what gift am I going to bring the Lord? Dad, what I'm giving you right now is one of the most precious gifts you can bring the people in your life, and you can bring it to the Lord as well. When you, when you decide you're going to be present with the people in your life, and you're going to do it on purpose, you're going to make some adjustments, and you're going to be there, you're giving everybody in your life, everyone, a dramatic step towards strength. You're giving them a dramatic step towards feeling confident in the life that they're going to have to walk. You're giving them a ready access relationship, so should they need wisdom and want to ask, you're there. And there's already been established this bridge between you and that person, you and your kid, you and your spouse, you and your nieces and nephews. There's already been established a bridge so that when they need to walk across it, it's built, it's there, it's well-traveled. It's not like spanning the Grand Canyon trying to connect because you've been making these connections over time. So when they need you, it's easy for them to come back across. And there are going to be times when people in your life need you. And they're going to be down, they're going to be beat down, and they're going to be be warned, and they're going to not even have the emotional strength, and they're ashamed, and they've been humbled by some circumstances happened to them or some choice they made, and the last thing they want to have to do is walk across a bridge, and if that bridge isn't fully established, it's even harder to get across. So one of the things you do as a dad is you just get there, and you stay there, and you're present, and I mean more than just physically. So you go home, and you're not just captivated by the sports. I mean, the weekend isn't captivated by watching every sports thing. Kids don't learn that they are, uh, you know, additional to your life when you're a dad. What they're supposed to learn is that they're core to your purpose. Let me tell you something I learned about this. I learned that if I didn't change my schedule early on, that I'd be the same person I've always been. So let me say it to you. If you don't change your schedule in the few weeks ahead of you and make some decisions about next year, then the end of next year is going to look an awful lot like the same as the end of this year. Being present is about making sure that you're emotionally and physically available to the people in your life. And doing it on purpose means that you're not just hoping it occurs, you're going to strategically put yourself at key moments into their life. You're going to insert yourself you're going to establish that bridge between you and another person. Dads, when you do this, you make a profound 
immensely positive impact on the people in your life. My dad was a, a very good dad. He is a very good dad. He wasn't a perfect man. Let me, let me tell you the one ways he did this best. I remember one day, I'm not going to tell you what it was because it's my private life, but one day I just disappointed my dad so much. And it happened right before church on a Sunday morning. Um, I was hanging out with a buddy and we got into some trouble and it came to light on a Sunday morning just about the time church was about to begin. So my dad pulls me aside and he gives me, in the, in the, in the hallway of church, he just gives me a real, um, you know, sizing up, if you will. I mean, he just... My dad was never afraid of conflict, tends to run in my family, just boom. And it wasn't all that unusual in our family. I mean, when we were, it was, it was good. And honestly, I deserved it. I deserved it. After service, my dad pulls me aside. He looks me right in the eyes. He said, I'm really disappointed. I said, I know. He said, but I went too far today. I love you, and we'll get through this. I'm really sorry. Would you forgive me? I'd never heard my dad talk like that before. My dad was old school. He wasn't wrong very often. The truth is, he wasn't wrong very often. He was a little across the line. And, but when he, when he said to me, I'm sorry, and he, he went out of his way to pull me aside. He didn't let a lot of time pass. Evidently, something had happened in the church service that got his attention. I was so grateful. Um, <laughs> Because I thought when we got home, we were going to finish the conversation in a different way. So he pulls me aside, and he's like, I'm sorry. And he inserted himself in the middle of that situation with me, and we worked through it, and it all worked out fine, and I learned and became a pretty powerful thing. He was with me on purpose through it. Dad, you can do that. Well, some of those powerful things that will happen in the life of your child is when you put yourself there, and you're simply with them. And then when they need you, it won't be strange to walk across that well-traveled bridge that you've built over time. And when you do that, you'll make a difference in their life. Here's another gift you can give, the gift of words. The gift of words. This is tough because, you know, men can speak in grunts and moans and high fives and be basically done. But that's not the way your heavenly father did it. Did you ever read Genesis chapter 1? You know how God did everything special in his life? Everything he did. Remember at the end of creation, it, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Everything he did is good. But how did he create? Every time he begins to create, the Bible says, and the Lord said, and God said. You know, you can create things with your words. Joseph mentioned it last week in his message, that in the tongue there's the power of life and death. It's true. That's the Bible. Men, you can, ladies, you can create things with your words. I look at how our Heavenly Father spoke to His Son on the few times He did. Jesus is about to begin His ministry, and it's an ugly ministry, and He knows it. He knows ultimately He's going to send Him to the cross. We know He doesn't really want to go there. He prays that way. It's incredibly profound that the hero of the Bible makes it clear He doesn't want to be the hero. doesn't want to go that way. I believe that builds credibility to the scriptures. And so Jesus is about to begin his ministry, so he goes and he gets baptized. He humbles himself, and he goes through baptism. And uh, the Father speaks. Look, listen to what he says. This is my son. You know the next line? It's the line every child wants to hear from their dad. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my son 
in whom I am well pleased. That's what he says. He doesn't say to everybody, hey, follow him. Can I tell you something? Your heavenly father wants to be your father so much and so long. And he wants to keep on doing it until you discover all the way down that you have his approval, that you have his love, that you have his power for the direction that you want to go in life. He wants to keep parenting you so well till he has convinced you that you're loved, that you have his approval, that you have the power he has available to you in your life. That's his heart towards you. And that's the heart behind what I'm trying to get dads to understand right now. That your words have the ability. The words you speak, the words you withhold on occasion, when you'd like to just kind of, you know, vent onto your kids. How you correct, not whether or not you should correct, but how you correct. Words are incredibly powerful. God wants to follow all of us until we're sure of his approval and his purpose for our lives. I think that uh, to my dying day, one of my strongest memories of my parents is going to be this, that I heard them regularly pray for me. When I think about that and uh, the gap between where my parents are and where I am in my parenting, it makes me want to be a better prayer. But it wasn't unusual in my home to hear my parents call my name before the Lord. And when I would try to impress everybody else with my life plans, you know what my parents would always say to me? Here's what they always said. Hey, we'll support whatever you want to do as long as that's what God wants you to do. It wasn't unusual in my home for me to hear from my parents, God has a call on your life. We don't care how you earn a living, but you better follow God. You won't be happy until you follow God. And those words got deposited into my soul. Here's something I'm wrestling with. That if you're too busy and too proud to pray with your wife and your children, then you're too busy and too proud. If you're too busy and too proud to pray with your wife and your children, then you are too busy and too proud. It's incredible the words spoken and the effect that they have. And dads, you can give the gift of words. I know when kids are little, it's harder. But as they get older, in addition to the Xbox and uh, whatever's the current game today, I don't know, and, and all the other stuff that kids want, what they want from their dads is they want to know that deep down, Dad is joyful, proud, and happy with him or her. And you can do that with your words. Let me give you one more gift you can give. It's the gift of reconciliation. This is the hardest leadership that I think you'll do in a family. It's true for men and for women. But dads, I think you have a unique responsibility to bring this value to the family. The mark of a healthy family is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of a reconciling spirit. See, your marriage isn't perfect when you're conflict-free. Your church isn't perfect when it's conflict-free. Your parenting isn't perfect when it's conflict-free, and your work environment isn't perfect when it's conflict-free, and your friendship isn't perfect when it's conflict-free. You're moving towards health when there is a reconciling spirit because there's no way to bring people together without conflict. And Dad, you have the ability to walk in the, in, the, in the footsteps of Joseph, the adoptive father, 
of Jesus in this reconciling spirit that you see when at first he is concerned by the news, but then he turns once he gets a vision of what his life can be, and he reconciles and he moves forward in a relationship with Mary. In fact, all of these, you see them in Joseph. You see that he's present when he could have bolted out. You see the words that he speaks over. He uses the exact same words to Mary that she used to him. I'm pregnant. It's the Holy Spirit. And he says, I had this dream and I was told and I believe the thing in you is not from you and somebody else, but it's from the Holy Spirit. And he reconciles with her. Your ability to create a reconciling spirit and carry the value for reconciliation in your home will be one of the most identifying markers of your legacy as a man. It's true in all the relationships of your life. It'll be some of the hardest work you do to make sure that in your home, flawed people can fail with dignity. That's what everybody wants. They want to be able to fail and maintain dignity in their failure. I want that. You want that. You want that from a church. You want that from your friends. You don't want to feel like, I mean, the pressure to maintain this, I didn't fail, you can't see the real me, I'm going to shade the truth, I'm going to prop something else up, I'm going to tell half things so that you can't see the real me because deep down I'm afraid if you knew the real me, you wouldn't like the real me. You wouldn't value the real me. That's destructive to a relationship. It destroys an intimacy and closeness in marriage. When a wife feels like she has to always guard her words or a husband can't be totally transparent with his wife. But you want to know where the destruction shows up in almost an irreparable way? Get 20 years of that kind of dynamic between you and your child. Where they can't be flawed human beings and fail with dignity. So how do you fail with dignity? Part of that has to do with who you fail in front of. And dads, you're going to have a front row seat to see your kids fail. And allowing them to fail with dignity is a big part of building that relationship and keeping the bridge between the two of you connected. It's going to require an incredible amount of humility. Humility in you allows those who have failed around you to retain their dignity. The challenge here is that there are healthy boundaries all around this. I haven't got time to explore all that. We do all that in a bunch of other messages. But at the core, the people closest to you, those in your inner circle, this is not a message for everybody in your life, but those in your inner circle need to believe that if they fail around you, you're going to allow them to maintain dignity. They're going to be able to still have your respect even as their humanity and their frailty is on display to you. Think about, for some of you that, like I, have some family dynamics that will make the holidays a little interesting. Think about if the people involved in all those dynamics would have brought humility to the failures of that family dynamic that make today awkward. Think about if everybody at the table was concerned about the dignity of somebody else at the table. Imagine how the conversations, the company, and the dynamic at the table or at the holiday event with your family would be different if everybody believed that it's okay we accept the fact that we're going to fail and we're going to fail we're not going to affirm failure pure and simple we're not going to not call out the failure but when we get do we're going to do it in a way that allows every failing person to maintain dignity and personal respect and we're not trying to destroy people with our words 
I think it might change every single dynamic in your family. So dads, ladies, everyone, the gift of being present, the gift of words, and the gift of reconciliation is something we see in Joseph's life and something I think we can do this holiday season to begin changing next year's reality. I think it's a gift we can give to the people in our lives, and it's a gift we can live unto the Lord that will make a powerful difference. So why don't you do this? Why don't you grab out your Connect cards, and let's uh, take a couple steps together as a congregation. If you're not yet in a relationship with your Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus, I'd like to ask you if today you'd like to declare that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Take the pen and check next step A right there on your Connect card that Will told you about, Pastor Will told you about earlier in the service where it says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. The Bible says that if you'll acknowledge that you're a sinner and that Jesus can be your Savior and if you'll trust the work that He's done, you can have a relationship with your Heavenly Father through the grace offered because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We'd ask you to check the box, put it in the offering bucket when it comes by, and we're going to pray in a second and give you a chance to talk to the Lord, and I'll communicate with you this week about what it means to be a child of God. Or how about next step B? Today I'm choosing to be baptized. We have a baptism in just a few days. It's about uh, almost your last opportunity other than an email to write on your Connect card that you'd like to be baptized, and uh, we'll follow up with you. We have some incredible stories of life change that are happening. We'd love to celebrate with you as a family. So the way you begin that conversation is you simply check the box. Uh, Next step C says this. It says, I'm going to invite God into some decision-making by asking him to guide me as I think and act. Ultimately, that's what Joseph did. He made decisions. He invited God to be a part, and he cooperated fully. So if you're facing decisions this holiday season, if there are things you have to do, this is an opportunity for you to check the box and say, hey, I'm just going to invite God more actively into the decisions and the life that I have to live. And I'll send you some reminders about that and how to do that practically in the email. Next step D says, hey, I'd like your prayers as I press into giving one of these gifts to my family. I'm asking you to just pick one. I'll send you all three as a reminder. Pick one to work on between now and the end of the year. The gift of your presence with purpose, the gift of your words, maybe the gift of reconciliation. And the next step, E says, hey, you can count on me to be a part of my Christmas gift 2018. This is where our church gathers together a sum of money beyond our normal giving, and we give it to make a difference in our church, in our community, and around the world. And if you check the box, I'd like to send you a little bit of information about where we are and how it's going. I'm going to give you an update in a second as well. But I think you'll be encouraged by it. So you just check the box, and sometime, ideally, between now and Christmas Eve Eve, you make it happen online or here via check in uh, the offering bucket, all right? So speaking of offering, I'm going to give you a chance to give back now to the Lord a portion of what he's blessed you with. So let me give you an update. So uh, last week, we formally started our Christmas offering. We set a goal of $65,000, and we set a goal of 100% participation of those who call church, this church, their home. And so we've already started in a big way. It's pretty incredible. Many of you have had conversations with me, and you've said, here's what we're thinking about doing, and I'm just blown away by that. Those numbers are incredibly high. Uh, I think we'll hit our goal. You're a generous church. But one weekend, we're just under $12,000 already received. That's, yeah, you can clap for that. That's incredible. (laughs) One of the ways you know a church is healthy is when people have a chance to give to things that matter to God, like kids and missions. They do. And you do. 
and I'm blown away by your generosity. If you'll let us, this year we're going to make an investment in your family. We're going to have conversations like the one Joseph had with you last week and the one we had today. And next week I'm going to talk to moms and ladies through Mary's story. The best I can do is give you a gift. You have to open it. I want you to know that when you make an investment in this place, you're making an investment in a place that believes deeply in God's plan for people's lives. We believe every single person you're in a relationship with can have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. The same God that we talked about today, the one that loves them, that approves of them, that wants a relationship with them, that will not shame them when they fail, but will get right there with them, build them up and encourage them. I'm grateful to do this with you. Let's pray about our offering and our next steps. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. I want to thank you, Lord, that in Joseph's story, we're given an incredible example of what it is to follow you, to be captivated by a vision for who we can be, and to see boldness in action to take the steps. I pray, Lord, today as we take steps as a congregation, your spirit would empower us. I pray, Lord, that in homes this week, especially men, but even the ladies, that there would be a move towards more purposeful presence, that husbands and wives would connect, and dads and moms would connect with kids. Grandparents would be uh, enjoying the environment they are around with their grandchildren. I pray that words would be spoken that give life, that build up, that encourage. And I pray, Father, that the ministry of reconciliation would begin to happen. And that value would be raised to new heights in our homes. And where there is brokenness, you would heal and restore. Father, I'm grateful for the gift of Jesus. And it's our privilege now to give back to you just a portion of what you have blessed us with. I lift up the men and women who are declaring, Jesus, save me, wash away my sins, cover me by your shed blood. I want you to lead my life. And I pray, Lord, for each person in this room. Let us know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We are loved. We're adored. Even when we fail. I pray it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son. Amen and amen.